Are you born to be an entrepreneur or is it an idea that pops up later in life? In today's episode, our special guest, Kevin Elliott, shares his journey from college professor to entrepreneurship. Stay tuned to his inspiring story. You won't want to miss it. The Power of Investing in People podcast is a proud partner of the Lima Charlie Network. To hear more inspiring and amazing podcasts, check out lima-charlie-network.com. Yo, what's up, everyone? This is Joe Bogdan from the Llama Leadership Team and co-host of the Llama Lounge Podcast. And I wanted to share with you this amazing opportunity to become a published author and become a fire starter. Does the thought of collaborating and connecting with a diverse group of creative thought leaders appeal to you? Well, it did to me, and joining the Firestarters Book Project was an amazingly easy and fun way to get my feet wet in the published author space. Shay and Christine made it so easy to navigate through the publishing realm and gave me the blessed opportunity to share my story with the world, and they would love to do the same for you. They are seeking aspiring authors like you to collaborate with them. And the best part is that they are going to do all of the hard work for you. All you have to do is commit to the process. You have nothing to lose and so much to gain. So join the team by visiting firestartersbookproject.com and tell them Joe sent you. It will change your life for the better, I promise. Welcome to the Power of Investing in People podcast. I am your host, Shay Sparks, Chief Excitement Officer of Sparks of Fire International, where we get you fired up about your life and your business by transforming trauma into treasure. So check out my new co-author collaborative book called Hashtag Firestarters, How to Be a Spark of Hope in the Midst of Change on my website at shaysparks.com. And while you're there, I invite you to connect with me on all the social media links, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And today, our guest is the amazing and incredible Kevin Elliott. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thank you. I'm amazing and incredible. Likewise. <laughs> thank well, you so much for having me on. Well, and thank you so much for your patience. I know we actually recorded, I believe, almost two years ago. And here we are again, <laughs> re-recording because, you know, things happen and things disappear. So thank you for your patience for coming back on. Oh, most welcome anytime, especially in the last couple of years, right? Because it's like we tore a hole in the space time continuum and everybody lost track of everything. So it's totally fine. Yeah. Isn't that weird? People are like, yes. oh, it was a year ago. Wait, 21 happened. Was it a year ago? Was yeah. it seven years ago? I right. don't know. How old am I? What, right. what day of the week? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, what day of the week? What time is it? What <laughs> right. year are we in? Yes. All of that. Absolutely. Yeah. So it, we've all just, but I, hopefully fingers crossed, we're, we're maybe trying to work our way out of it. So I believe we are. I and welcome to Florida, by the way, for your listeners who don't know, if, if you just moved to Florida where I live and not in the same town, but same state. So welcome. It's a yes. wonderful place to live. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to see the adventure unfold. And we're yeah. probably, what, six-ish, seven hours apart? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Florida is a gigantic state. People have no idea how big it is. Now, but uh, yes, you're over there on the Atlantic side, and I'm on the Gulf Coast side, the Gulf of Mexico. And it's a, uh, great here because, look, how bad can life be when you can walk on the beach in February? I know, right? right. I mean, it can't be that so bad. So right? beautiful. So yeah, right. beautiful to be able to yep. do that. Especially when you're coming from the Midwest, that it, when I left, yes. I literally got out right before six inches of snow happened, no. hours, hours before it hit. So I was so glad to get out of there and walk on the beach the very next morning. So, yes, awesome. yes. So, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, for those of you who don't know, Kevin is the co founder and lead producer of Wewa Films, a company specializing in heartfelt cinematic video stories. Kevin has produced videos all over the country for clients, including McDonald's, the Federal Highway Administration, Florida's Great Northwest, and the Children's Advocacy Center, among others. He is also a published author and college professor. He has written for the Washington Post, Desktop Documentaries, Business Energy Magazine, Public Roads, and many more. He teaches public relations writing, persuasion, and public speaking at Florida State University. 
He lives with his family in North Florida and 15 chickens. You yes. can find out more on his website at wewafilms.com and we will have that in the show notes as well. So I cannot wait to dive in. There's just so much to unfold right here. Kevin, I always like to start off with the first question of what does investing in people mean to you? Well, for me, it's the way we make our living at We Wall Films. I mean, it's the, it, a lot of reasons. I love this job and I love this business for many, many reasons. But the two big ones are, is that I get to talk to interesting people every day and tell their stories, right? So it, when I when we show up and we do a very cinematic kind of documentary style videos, people see our stuff. It's a lot of interviews with people. We We don't just hire actors and do those kinds of spots. Matter of fact, we never do that. We sit down and talk to people and it's my favorite thing to do because we, as a job, get to make people look and sound their best better than they thought they could. We get that all the time. Mm. Like I, like I didn't know I could look that good. I didn't know that I could with good lighting and professionals. So you're, it's, it is a lovely thing to be able to give somebody that gift. That's an investment in, them that they they see themselves the way that they've always wanted to be shown that's Mm -hmm. special it's a neat thing to be able to do and then on the other side is that i get to work with creatives every day so i do all the paperwork in the company and i do all the client stuff and the contracting i mean i do all that stuff but i also we're a highly creative company and so the thing about working with human beings but creatives especially is you have to handle them with care they are a special kind of person and you have to invest in not only in making sure they have the right tools. So video equipment is incredibly expensive. And so we buy the best stuff. So my creatives have the best tools at their disposal, but also investing in them that for lack of a better term, I protect them from a lot of the things that go on in, business, not necessarily even bad things. It's just creatives as a rule, don't make them do paperwork and (laughs) don't make them fill out forms and don't make, don't don't make them do that. Don't make them sit in on client meetings. They just, it's not what they do and you're not getting. So I, the way I invest in them is I do all that. Hmm. And then when, and when I'm managing a shoot, I manage the people and I manage the, all the stuff. It's like they have a bubble around them and they can just focus on being as creative as they can be. Mm-hmm. And I see that as my job. So that's a couple of ways that, that we make money by investing in people and making sure that they feel their best and they are their best and they look their best. And it's a gift. It's an amazing way to make money. I love this. So what I'm hearing is that you're a project manager for oh, yeah. storytelling for creative people, because there's so many details that as creatives, we can get caught up in the minutia of all of it. And you come in and you swoop it all away and, yeah. and you just say, you know what? We got you. We got you. You're really providing right. support. Yes. And clients, it's funny. I, I, I find with a lot of creative businesses, they lack confidence to engage a client like that. So clients don't want you, most clients don't want order takers. They, most clients don't know when it comes to creative work. Now, some, mm-hmm. I, I don't like with accountants, I'm sure they know what they want, right? They just do my books. But with creative projects, typically customers know, they have a goal. They know what they want to accomplish, but they, they need you to help them think through what that's supposed to look like and sound like and feel like. And that's what I do. So I can help them think through that. But the other thing is too, if you want the creatives to produce at a very high level, you have to take away any kind of fear from them, first of all. So sometimes if there's a client, we have a tough conversation or there's something that there's a conflict or whatever. My creatives don't have any part in that at all because they don't need to know that stuff. That's just stuff I'll deal with. And then they can just, but it also, the clients thank you for that, for being a liaison because... I don't know if this is a video podcast, but you can see I, I look like a very generic, like corporate looking guy, right? I don't, and so I can I can make the corporate types and the the big clients, like say McDonald's or or Destination Panama City, a tourist development council or something, one of our clients, 
make them feel comfortable. I can talk their corporate language, you know, because creatives, sometimes creatives show up on set and their hats are backwards and they have this long beard and they have sunglasses on. They're, you know, they're, they're creative. And so I'm able to make sure they don't have to think or deal with any of that. And everybody's doing what they're best at at that point. And it, it just works well. And clients love it too. They like, they like somebody who's running the show and then they can just step back and, and enjoy the process like you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You are, you, like I said, you're providing support. You're providing the yeah. groundwork, the space. You're holding space for them to be creative. And even though you don't look like a long-haired, creative, tattooed-type person, you are still creative. And that just shines through in your work. So I love that we're talking about creativity. So yeah. as you're speaking of creativity, as you're working with clients and you decided to go in a route where you really make these beautiful, like you call them documentary pieces, videos, what made you decide to go that route rather than something more commercial? Great question. Because I think what we're doing at We Will Films is redefining what a commercial video looks like Mm -hmm. or should look like, could look like. Courtney, my business partner, who is a creative genius, but she likes why well, you're never going to meet her on one of these podcasts because she's one of those crazy. She's like, don't don't make me do any of that. Let me just, you know, so I do all this stuff. But she is, in my estimation, a bona fide genius. And she is 17 years younger than I am. We we live near each other. She lives in Wewall. I live outside Wewall, about 15 minutes in the, on the Panama City side. But we don't have a lot of overlap in our life except for that. Mm-hmm. It's just one thing that we do really, really well. And we found it by accident, actually. She was a student of mine at FSU. And I just happened to see on her Facebook feed one day that she posted a, a personal video. Like she just went to a concert with a friend. And it was so good that mm-hmm. I messaged her. And at this point, I was just like Mr. Elliot. I was like, hey, this is Mr. Elliot from you know class. And was like, I didn't know you did video. And she was like, I don't really, I just kind of did it for fun. And I was like, well, my gosh, we, so we did some side projects for years before we started this business. And every time we did a project, we got the same look just came out of us. Mm. So it's not something we, we go to make, we didn't sit down and go, let's do documentary style. Let's do cinematic sort of style, heartfelt, very emotional videos. We didn't say, let's just do that. It's just what came out of us. And when we saw it, and then people started to respond to it really, really well, the business brain of mine kicked in and I went, wait a minute, that's a brand, right? That's Mm -hmm. what, with all brands, you're looking for something very specific that people can identify with. And so when we decided to start the business, I said, Courtney, this is all we want to do, right? Like we don't want to do animated, funny videos. It's the kind of video we like to watch. Mm, yes. So she and I will send videos to each other and shows on Netflix that we've seen things like, like chef's table. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're familiar with chef's table. Mm-hmm. Chef's table is some of the most gorgeous videography you've ever seen in your life, but it's about food, right? The topic is irrelevant. Yeah. We just love this stuff. And so when we started making videos, it came out of us. So we built the, it, it, what this most natural thing, build a business around what naturally comes out of you and so the risk with that, and what most people think is the risk is, is that, oh, if I, if I pigeonhole myself is what they'll say, I shouldn't pigeonhole myself because then I won't get clients. And we have found exactly the opposite to be the case. If you are very specific with what you put out in the world, you will attract the people who want it. And because we've done that and stayed focused on the cinematic, heartfelt, emotional, beautifully shot, beautifully lit videos. I don't care who the client is. What's happened is we are getting clients across industries who want those kinds of videos. So we've done work for everyone from McDonald's to corporate work. We're, we are flying to Arizona in two weeks, Courtney and I are, to, do, to shoot a family documentary. This woman's history of her family. We do stuff at the Gulf County Tourist Development Council. We're doing stuff for Destination Panama City. We're doing things for for a large credit union in the Panhandle, a regional credit union. I mean, everybody's coming to us, no matter what their industry, and saying, we want that cinematic, that heartfelt. We want to connect with our people. We want to move them. Mm-hmm. And that's new in marketing. Mm-hmm. That's new in, in, in video production, where 
it's not just some overly polished voiceover actor or paid actors to fake like they're having fun or whatever. We're just filming people and talking to real people and it's connecting with folks and it's worked. And luckily it's what we want to do anyway, right? We're not, we don't have to force it because it's the kind of stuff we already, we're going to make no matter what. I just really want to point out to our listeners that what Kevin is describing is a couple of things. One, he didn't set out to start a business. The business door opened of opportunity opened to them. And it was because what did they do? They made products that were heartfelt and they love to watch. And there's a book out called Steal Like an Artist by Austin McLean, and he says that, write the book, make the art that you want to see, that you want to read. So you're making the ads, basically, that you want to watch. Yes. Steve Jobs famously said about the iPhone, is Steve Jobs didn't like focus groups. He didn't like asking people what they want. He said, because mm-hmm. de- depending on what it is, if you're creating something new, they don't know they want it yet. Right. And they'll know it when they see it. We, we didn't know we needed a smartphone until we saw the first iPhone. And then we said, I can't live without that. Right. It, right. When right. you're creating something new, sometimes you have to do what's in you and just trust that some other people in the world are going to respond to it like you do. So again, for those listeners who are sitting there going, okay, I want to start a business, but I don't know where to start. Kevin's laying it out for you is just trust the process. Trust your own process of of let's try things on, see what happens, roll it out. And then there it becomes your test market. Because like you said, you end up attracting those who are into what you're doing, into what you're making. And I, I it's just such a beautiful story of alignment that I think a lot of people forget to mention that, oh, it was such a struggle. It was this, it was that. We had to shift gears. And not once have you said that because it was really about being in alignment of what you're called to do, what felt good in your heart, because what are you doing? You're making heartfelt stories. Yeah, it was like a lightning strike. I mean, I've had other businesses. I've started, I've I've been an entrepreneur for 20 plus years. And mm-hmm. I've had other businesses, some did, some did well, some failed, but this one is different. And it, because I think probably we didn't set out to just to go, Hey, let's start a, yeah. let's find somebody to start a video company with. It just was uh, very serendipitous, mm-hmm. but I think probably again, Steve jobs, I mean, everybody uses him as an example, and rightly so, but he didn't set out to start Apple corporation. He noticed that people wanted a prepackaged computer. So he and his friends were making computers in their garage. They love hacking into them. And he just happened to notice that not everybody wants that. They just, can you just like do all that for me and hand me the packaged computer? So noticing when things are in your life that resonate with you, paying attention to them and not letting them go by because when they go by, sometimes they don't come back. And if we could take credit for anything, I think at We Wall Films is that Courtney and I noticed we were onto something. And we looked at each other again. It's not like we hung out a lot before this. It's not like we had, she had graduated college and went on. I just happened to see her stuff on Facebook, but it was just one of those things you go, Oh, there might be something here and to follow it. And I think that probably happens to a lot of people. And they they either, they see, they feel it like something there's might be something there. Mm-hmm. Should I explore it? And they go, ah, I don't know. I'm busy right now. And, mm-hmm. man, I, you know, and they don't explore it. And they miss it. And and it, again, I'm so grateful that she and I just were like, let's explore this a little bit mm-hmm. and see if there's something there. And man, when we did, it was like a lightning strike. It just mm-hmm. hit. And we started putting things out and people instantly responded. And I can't guarantee that for everybody, but right. I, I swear it just, it my phone started ringing and mm-hmm. I got a call this morning. It hasn't stopped. And, and, and I'm not sure I can take credit for that, but I'm just so happy it's happening, you know? Well, absolutely. But we have stayed focused. We have stayed focused. Lots of people, when the phone starts to ring, like I will say no to people when they call me and they need something that's out of our scope. I, we, we, we will walk away. We made it very clear, she and I, when we started the company, like this is the only thing we do. We are a one trick pony mm-hmm. and that's what we do. And we stay focused with it and it's working. 
and we're grateful, very grateful. So your process, and I will say this in most cases, it's all of our process is to really explore with curiosity is what I call it, curiosity exploration. Really explore and go, okay, so what if we check this out and see what happens rather than let's do this, we're attached, we have a goal, we have to get so much in sales. And then it becomes quote unquote work. When you just really allow that to unfold in the process, like we had been talking about the alignment to show up, you are starting to attract a completely different clientele than when you're forcing it. Yes. And remember, I I was 45 when we started this company. I try to tell that to people too, is that a lot of people think if, oh my gosh, if I haven't started my million dollar company by the time I'm 23, well, then it's just all over. It's like, no, I was 45 years old when I started my dream business. But now Courtney was 20, whatever she is. She just turned 30. So she she's dying that she just turned 30, but she did. So she was like 28 years old. Mm. It's just, I can't explain that, but I will tell people, pay attention to where that, not to sound too kind of, um, I don't know, transcendental about it, but pay attention to how the energy is kind of flowing. Pay attention when something feels like, wow, that feels special. Go with it a little bit. See what happens. You might be surprised. We were <laughs> surprised the heck out of us. So, yeah. We were. I love that because now you're we wah. We walk. We walk. Yeah. So I love that you mentioned transcendental because it is an energy force that just kind of shows up and your body is literally showing up as excitement. Like, okay, what is it that we do? What is it that I need to do in order to keep this flowing? Not just going, but flowing because it's literally in flow. When you're in that feeling, that's in flow. So I love that you're bringing that up. Let's take a step back for a minute and um, you have done so many things. You've been an active published author in so many publications. You've taught college. You'd mentioned that. So when did the transition happen? Or maybe it always happened right out of college, but when did the transition happen from being an employee to being an entrepreneur? Tell us that story. I bought my first business when I was 25 years old. It's just in my DNA. And it took me till I was about 45 to realize this is just who I am, right? This is just, I'm in and I I don't want to go as far as to say you are kind of born an entrepreneur, but I do say there's an inclination, right? It's just in you because mm-hmm. I have no entrepreneurs in my family. None. Interesting. My, okay. My parents are both corporate people. Like my dad's retired full uh, career in the Air Force. My mom was a civil servant her entire career. I have a brother who's a doctor, a sister who's a lawyer. My other sister's a nurse. Like these are very mm-hmm. solid corporate type people. And then there's me. And I worked at a childcare center when I was in college an after school center for five years while I was in school. And then the owner wanted to retire mm. and she came to me and said, and she must've noticed that I was interested because she came to me and said, I want to retire. Would you like to buy this business for me? And the funny thing about it, thinking about 25 years old, but at this point, right. Yeah. And, uh, and I had just graduated college with a degree in theology and philosophy. Right. So that's where I was in life. It wasn't exactly like I was laser focused on a career, but it was funny when she asked me that I immediately knew I would say yes. And the funny thing is, is that I had been thinking about it for probably two years before that. What would I do if I owned this childcare? Uh It's just in your brain. Yes. And it took me a very, very long time to find other entrepreneurs that could think like, because I've always, because in my family, I have an amazing family, very supportive, wonderful people, but they can't relate. They just like, they don't get it. When I talk right. to them about this stuff, they just don't understand what revs me up and why I work nights and weekends or why I want to, they don't, right. they just don't get it. And yeah. it's not, they're even their fault. My mom is adopted and there's, there's got to be somebody on her side of the family over there that I have never met that has this same sort of thing. So to answer your question is, I think I have always been an entrepreneur and an mm-hmm. entrepreneurial type, mm-hmm. but it took me until my forties, seriously, until I found people like me enough that could help that I realized we had something in common and now we're talking the same language. And I think that's when a lot of my stuff really took off because I have people who understand what I'm trying to do. And then I can ask them questions and they've been through it. If you haven't lived through this or it's not in you, 
it's a very hard thing to explain to somebody else. And a lot of times you get weird looks, but I will say though, my mother is the most creative person I've ever met. Like the most universally creative person I've ever met. She can do everything. And that's where I get that. I get Mm -hmm. that creative streak. And I wonder sometimes in another life, um, would she have been entrepreneurial, right? If she didn't grow up in her generation, if she hadn't been adopted from East Germany and uh, just different circumstances, would she have been that? I I wonder, but no, yeah, I think most of the entrepreneurs, by the way, that I know Mm -hmm. are the same way. Like they just always knew, right? They they might've worked in corporate world for 20 years, but they, they, deep down, they're always like, ah, I wonder what, what would happen if I started a business, you know? And you realize when you're not around entrepreneurial people that not everybody has those thoughts. Yes. And I I work with a lot of our listeners might be in that mid range of life, right? Thirties to fifties and they're employees and they're thinking to themselves, what do I do next? Whether I'm laid off or maybe I want to get out and start something new, just don't feel fulfilled. And I love that you asked yourself this question at such a young age in your twenties of how would I, what would I do differently if I owned this? Because I feel like as entrepreneurs who are curious about that question over and over and over again, that is our foundation of how we know we are entrepreneurs because we're already thinking like one. Right. And I will recommend to you, I didn't do this early enough, is to find other ones, find other entrepreneurs and just take them out for coffee and talk to them and tell them what's on your mind and see, because if you're one of those people like me who just didn't have any reference, I didn't, I've never had a mentor. I didn't have anybody that could say, Kevin, you seem to be leaning this way. You seem to have this entrepreneurial streak. Let me tell you what you can do with that. Or here's some things you need to do to pursue that. I had none of that. And so I had some failures early on that I, pro- that I probably wouldn't have had to have if I, if I had those people, even one other person. So find them, take them to lunch and say, here's what I'm thinking. Does this make any sense to you at all? And I'll bet you if they're a business owner, they're going to go, I, I get it. I totally get it. And they will help you think through your next step. And I try to do that for others because it took me a long time. Well, I love that you said that because I as well did not have mentors. My dad was always an entrepreneur and and I would run things by him, but he was always go after the new shiny object entrepreneur. Yeah, sure. And which was great you know, in some aspects, but for me, I saw what he did and I was like, okay, that didn't work. So how can I make different choices? How can I make better choices? And so I didn't just want to ask him. So I kind of did the same thing that you did. I started going to networking events and just started talking to people. And I was an entrepreneur and one, I was a business owner in one aspect, but when they would ask me, I just had a salon and they would say, so why are you here at this networking event? Are you here to try to get new clients? I was like, no, not at all. I'm just here to to meet interesting people because I know at some point I could call back and be like, hey, I have this idea. You know, can I run this by you? Can I buy that cup of coffee and just sit down and, and discuss this with you? But for me, it was more about making those connections. So how did you really figure out that you needed to find a mentor as in, did you go to a a specific networking event? Did you Google mentors in your area? Like how did you, or business owners or entrepreneurs, how did you go about that process? I did it. So Panama city, Florida is a relatively small town. It's, it's not Miami. It's not Tampa. It's not Orlando. It's pretty small. It's up in the panhandle. And so you can get to know the business people in town if you want to know them. Like the, it's a small community of business people, but I did. I like there was a phase where I just showed up at every chamber of commerce meeting. I showed up at every hour after hours thing, whatever it was. I would just start showing up. Anytime they would let me speak, I would speak to the meeting, and I and slowly started meeting people. And then that was the first time I met folks who understood completely where I was coming from as an entrepreneur. Then once I realized who was who in my community, in my area, I started studying them without them knowing it, just looking at their websites, watching what they did, and then found the few that just really, I really, really admired the work that they do. And, and then I just made friends with them. Like, I'll just straight, that's the entrepreneurial thing, right? We're not afraid to go just meet somebody or talk to somebody True. or message them on Facebook and go, look, I'm impressed with this you're doing. And can we go to lunch one day? I want to talk to you. Like, I would just do that. 
Mm-hmm. And more often than not, entrepreneurs are incredibly generous people. People think, oh, they're so busy. They want, they're running their businesses. And that's true, but we've all, we've all been scared and we've all had these questions. And, we've, and so I find more often than not, even highly successful. I have some friends who are, oh my gosh, they are like my heroes. These people have so much money and they've been so successful, but I can message them and they will text me back in like four minutes. They're just generous. They want to talk. They yeah. love this stuff. They like talking about business. It's not as hard to find that network as as you might think it is. And the business community is very generous and very enthusiastic. And the fun thing about them is that they don't have to be building their business to talk to you. They just like to talk about business. Business people like to talk about starting businesses. That's what Agreed. we do. Yep. And so find a couple and you'll find the ones that just kind of resonate with you. And then there are, I, I always like to plug books that I've read. No, I haven't mm-hmm. read the book, at least not yet, but then, not, not yet. yet. <laughs> it's definitely, definitely something I, I have on the radar. One that and you, you asked about kind of finding mentors. One reason I started doing that is because I failed early on you know, one of my businesses. And it was really, really hard, really tough because I didn't have any real foundation for how to do this entrepreneur thing. Then sort of nuts and bolts processes and that sort of boring stuff that a lot of creatives don't want to think about. But one book that helped me immensely, two books really, one is called Positioning that Mm -hmm. I recommend to every person who's ever been in business or thinks about it called Positioning. Al Reese. R-I-E-S and Jack Trout, T-R-O-U-T, like the fish. Mm-hmm. One of the best business books I've, I've ever read. And then another one called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. And The E-Myth is great. Positioning will help you think about your business. Like how philosophically, how do I shape my business and how I talk about it, how it looks and all that stuff. How do I focus it? And then the e-myth is how do I set up systems inside my business so mm-hmm. I'm not run ragged, so I don't fail, so I don't burn out. So how, how do I do that? Like, like step by step by step. And that book was transformative for me. And that's how I can do this. I can sit here and talk to you while I have videos being made in the background. Kevin doesn't have to do anything, all the stuff anymore. And that's the number one mistake young entrepreneurs make. They try and do everything themselves. You will burn out. You will fail. If you do that, so read the e-myth and it will help you work through some of that stuff and and do better. I love that e-myth and positioning and positioning. I have others, but those two, if you're going to read two, those are the big ones to me. Gotcha. Thank you. And I'll, I'll um, have those in the show notes as well. So tell me what your different businesses were, if you don't mind sharing and which one, although I think we know which one lights you up the most. So when you said your dad is the guy who likes to run after the next shiny thing, you know, yeah. what, what that really, and I, I completely understand that. I, I get, I understand that. <clears throat> I think too, that there is a level of, and I, I don't even say this facetiously. I think it's real. I think there's a level of like adult ADHD yes. in the business community. I think it's, that's a real thing with yes. entrepreneurs. It's just yes. that we just, our brains just, just are that way, right? Mm-hmm. With all the all the good things, because there's a lot of good things that come with that. We can roll with it. We can be, we can adjust quickly. Mm-hmm. We can think fast. We're creative. We come up with lots of good ideas. There's also some other stuff that can go along with that that's not so positive, like sticking with one thing and you know all that stuff. So my businesses have been all over the board. The first one I already mentioned was the childcare center. Mm-hmm. I worked there for five years and I owned it for five years, and okay. that's the one that that in the end failed. And it was because I didn't know how to set up systems. And my overhead killed me for one. My overhead was too high. I just was excited about being in business. Mm -hmm. And then the everyday grind of those sort of processes and systems and that have to happen. I wasn't prepared for that. And so it just slowly got me. Closed that business. And then because I've always been good with my hands and I've liked to work with my hands and been busy, I collect tools and stuff like that. I started a home renovation and repair business because I like to be outside. I live in Florida and I like that stuff. And so I started, I just totally switched gears and started fixing people's houses for them. And that evolved because I've always been good at marketing myself and um, keeping clients happy and that sort of thing. I did that. And then after about five years of that, what what I found was that a lot of my clients kept calling me back. So I would go out to hang gutters on their house or something. Mm-hmm. And then I get a, a few months later, I get a call and be like, hey, can you come clean these gutters? Because they're dirty and, and they're full. And I'm 83 years old and I'm not getting up on a ladder, you know. Could you? And 
before long, I realized, oh, wait a minute, there's a, there's an entire second market of this, of just maintaining what I go out and build on their houses, right? Right. And then my business evolved into a property maintenance business. And then I realized, oh, okay, I can do this. And then it's regular revenue. I can set them up on a regular maintenance schedule. I can go out every week or every month or whatever. And then, so I leaned into that for the second five years of that business. Um, Because of all those reasons, it's just regular revenue and I can get bigger clients, townhome complexes, Office Depot, Hardee's restaurants and stuff like that. And I did all that. And I did that for about five years. So that business was 10 years. Mm -hmm. And then the Florida heat got to me and I was like 38 years old and I was already having arthritis in my hands Mm because it's just hard work. Sure. And also too, did not build proper systems in there to get for employees and just building in those levels. And I was just a little bit burnt out. So I went to graduate school, went back to school and got a master's degree in corporate and public communication. Mm. And went to work in the corporate world for a while because I just needed to rest. I just yeah. needed to like, and then that's when I met Courtney because then I started teaching at FSU where I got my master's degree. Uh-huh. I've always loved teaching. I met Courtney and I also learned video production, by the way, because it's I work for an engineering firm mm. and I did video production, learned video production for government agencies. So it's very informational, educational kind of video, not yeah. highly creative, but very, but I learned video production. Mm-hmm. I learned the process. I learned how to actually do this for big projects. And then when I met Courtney, that brought in the creative element and then off we went. So I knew how to produce videos and I knew how to market videos and she knew how to make videos. And then at that point, I had learned from my mistakes that I had made in my previous videos. And so it's come together. And so the one that lights me up the most, obviously, is the one I'm in right now. Because not only because it scratches that creative itch, although it does that, it's because I've learned how to build a business with the right foundations and systems and processes and to where it's got longevity now. It's sustainable. Mm-hmm. It's something that I can do without burning out anymore and losing the joy of it. And that's something that I'm incredibly grateful for. But it took me 20 years. Think about that. Yeah. That's something people with, with starting businesses, they want to have everything figured out the first year. It took me 20 years to get to a business where I feel like, you know what? I really know how to run this business, really know how to run it well, efficiently set things up properly so I can sleep at night. We make money, we make good money, and I can sleep at night and we're having fun at the same time. And that took me 20 years to get that combination right. So well, if you're struggling with it, don't give up. <laughs> well, and I think everyone wants that instant gratification, right? Yeah. But entrepreneurship is for the long game. It is not for the short game. I mean, it very rarely in instances is it, you know, an overnight success without the 10 plus years behind it, working behind right. the scenes to get that overnight success, right? And so it's fascinating to me when people are like, well, I want it now. And that's yeah. not how the real world works. I have a theory about it because we always hear these statistics about how many businesses fail. Yes. I don't know how much I trust them or how exactly what the numbers are, but we do know that if your first business, there's a pretty high likelihood that it will fail, mostly because it's not because you have a bad idea necessarily, but I, my suspicion is, is that one, they haven't studied enough and they, they, they don't set up those proper systems I keep mentioning. Read the e-myth. Michael Gerber will help you with that. They don't save up enough money and they go broke because because they 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 underestimate how long it's going to take. Yeah, and that I think is why most people give up because they see a, a successful business person and they go, "Wow, I can do that too," and they think that's going to happen inside a yes. year, and it it almost never does. And so I think when they when it settles in on them, like, "Oh my gosh," I tell people when you're going to start a business, give yourself five years minimum, five years of going at it. Don't quit for five years. And when I say that to people, you can tell instantly the ones who are really in it because the ones who are really in it, they're like, okay, all right, tell me what to do. The ones who they go five years, I can't give that five. Well, then you're done. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. I'll be blunt with you. Don't do it. You are not going to make it because I think that grind gets them. But one other thing too, the a statistic I've heard again, take it with a grain of salt, but say the majority of first businesses fail but the majority of second businesses succeed and most people never start the second business. Mm. And if you study people like my favorite is Walt Disney, I'm Mm. a Floridian, right? So my favorite is Walt Disney. How many times these people fail before they do the thing you know them for? It's a lot. 
Yeah. It's just they don't they they don't quit and they keep coming back with ideas. Like my my second my first business did okay for about five years, but it ultimately failed. My second business paid the bills. We did fine. I ran it for ten years, but I didn't get rich. We did, but it was ten years. This third business is the one. You know, my third business is where I really feel like I'm getting it. And that's, I think, where most people aren't willing to do. They aren't willing to start the second or the third business or the fourth business, right? The first one didn't make it. Well, I tried it and they walk away. And what a shame. So what I'm hearing, and even though you're not saying it, is because I am I know you well enough to know, but I'm, what I'm hearing is that you really have a, a growth mindset. You weren't like, oh, that first business failed. So I failed. I'm a failure. I can't have a business again. You just said, okay, scrap that. What's next? And you were like, what can I learn that didn't fuel me in my last business? So what did I learn that will really fuel me to move forward, propel me forward to the next business? Yeah, that's the short version of what happened. I don't want to underestimate. I don't want to underplay how painful it is to lose a business. Absolutely. It was incredibly humiliating. Because it happened very publicly. It's a business, right? People know right. you failed. They know you're right. not. You know, they've seen your business is closed. It is incredibly painful and embarrassing and humiliating. It, I don't want to underestimate that. It's It hurts really bad. And on some level still hurts me. Sure. That I lost that first business. And maybe that's what drives me some. But that's where that's where you learn if, you, if this is in your DNA or it is not. And it is in mine. Because I look back on it now and I go, well, the, the easiest thing to do after you lose a business is go get a job for somebody. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. I turned around and started another business almost immediately because I had to pay my bills. If your default mode is when you need some, need money, you go, I need to start a business. Well, then go with that because that's probably who you are. But yeah, it was painful. But hey, here I am. It just took a very long time. Longer than I wish it did, but here I am. I'm happy to be here now. No, I'm, I'm glad I'm not 75. I started when I was 45. Right. right? Right. Yeah. Although a, Colonel Sanders started at what? That's the just famous gonna story. say that, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's never too late. So if you're thinking yeah. about starting a business, you know, you can reach out to either Kevin or me and we can, you know, sit that's down right. I'll you. give you a list, by the way, because as you get older in entrepreneurship, as we know, because we see all the young hotshots coming along, like we start to study the people who are like, I tell people, look, Vera Wang did not sew her first wedding dress until she was 40 years old. Think about that. She yes. had never sewn. 40 years old, she sewed her first wedding dress. Martha Stewart started Martha Stewart Living when she was in her late 30s. It is actually more common than the young 22-year-old who becomes a billionaire. That's the lightning strike. Right. The average everyday real entrepreneurs, no, that's not how it goes. They just It, it takes years. Well, and I think Mary Kay Ash, the, the original Mary Kay Cosmetics, I think she was in her 60s when she came up with the cosmetic company. Yeah. Ray Kroc, Ray Kroc, speaking of McDonald's, yeah. was, was 52 years old when he, yep. yeah, it, it, it is. And he had been a salesman for 30 years before that. It is the normal story. That's one thing I, I would try and share more often is that the normal entrepreneurship story is the taking years to get things off the ground and get going. That's nor, that's the actual story. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we see on social media, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world, who just have a lightning strike hit them, right? And it's just that rare. That's not the normal story. The normal story is you try two and three times, you grind on it for years. It's hard, but if it's in you, it's in you Mm -hmm. and you'll stick with it. So stick with it. If you you feel like, you know what? I just really want to do this, but it's hard right now. It's taking longer than I thought. It will. Yeah, that's normal. That's okay. It doesn't mean you're failing. Well, I have a few more questions, but one of the things that I'm really curious about, you mentioned that your dad was in uh, the Air Force and retired from the Air Force. So were you like kind of a, a, a military brat where you traveled around and you got to, in, to be in different places, meet different friends, meet new people on a regular basis, or were you pretty much just in Florida for most of your life? No, it was the former. Actually, I traveled all over, all over the place. Probably the greatest gift of my childhood was being an Air Force kid, being a military brat, as we, what we call them, right? Mm-hmm. Because by the time I was 18 years old, I had lived, obviously, in Florida. I was born in Miami, but we lived in Florida for a while. When I was little, my dad uh, rejoined the military. He had been in during Vietnam and then gotten out, joined, got back in. So we, I've lived on the West Coast. I lived in California for a while. I lived in Germany. Before I moved to Panama City, Florida is a big military town where I live now, Tyndall Air Force Base. My dad was stationed here. 
I've been to Central America, to Panama, all over the place. And before I was 20 years old. Now, the reason that is an amazing gift, I mean, a shockingly fortuitous thing that I fell into with that lifestyle, is that from a very early age, I was exposed to the world. And I was exposed to hearing other languages and other foods and smells and customs and ways people drive and clothes and just just seeing the world outside of my little family. Mm -hmm. I can't overestimate how important that is to the job I do right now because the great, and also I had to change schools in the middle of school years and all the things that go along with that. You learn how to one, appreciate the world and everybody in it and all the different kinds of flavors of folks that there are out there. And you learn how to adjust very, very quickly to any situation you're dropped into. Yes. Well, that's video production, right? I can plan all day long. When you show up on set and things start to happen, you, you just have to roll. And the other big part of my job is I interview people. I talk to people. And I think one of the reasons that when you watch our stuff, people... I get this feedback all the time. It's like people just seem to be thoroughly enjoying themselves in the interview. And they don't, yeah. and when they start the interview, they're so nervous. And I think the reason is it took me a while to figure out because I actually am totally interested in them. Exactly. Yes. Like I'm really interested. I don't care what you do. You, they fascinate people fascinate me. And I learned that from an early age. And when they realize that, Oh, he actually cares what I do at this bank and, or my job at this Oh, and then all of a sudden they start to glow and they start to talk about what moves them because it because it is thoroughly interesting to me. And I learned that as a kid. I learned that just being around the world. Amazing gift. Amazing gift. Yes, and I love that you mentioned that the flavors of the the world because that's literally what it is. You're meeting people, you're meeting new food, you're seeing different cultures, maybe different religions, music, different religions, music, music. Sure, yeah, sure. I mean, music and is dress, a huge part of video, things like and, that. Yeah, yeah. If you listen, I tell people go to. I think one of the things that that our videos make them special is the sound, the way they sound. If you go to them and close your eyes and listen to the music we put behind things. It's a lot of times not the, not the typical stuff you would expect because I grew up as a music kid. My dad was a minister, so I grew up in worship services of all flavors, but he was an Air Force chaplain, right? So okay. it wasn't just one flavor. I heard all these sensory inputs as a kid come out. Our stuff just sounds different. The world is a super interesting place. Yes, it is. And I'm so thankful that you took time to share your story with us. And I hope I allowed you to be able to enjoy your getting interviewed because that's what I do too. I love to, and I'm really fascinated by people's stories too. Yeah, no, you're a great host. I'm glad we got to do this twice. Yes, me too. Me too. This is good. Me too. So before we go, got a couple more before we wrap up. What do you want to be your legacy? What do you want to be remembered for? So in life generally, or just we wall films? Either. Either one. Well, I'm a dad. I'm a father of daughters. And I think as a dad and just as a husband and as a, as a guy, I want my kids and I try to help them discover some things about themselves and about life that it took me a long time to kind of sort out myself. I've mentioned a few of those. I'm entrepreneurial. I'm creative and all those things. What to do with them? Because a lot of people feel these things, mm-hmm. but they don't know what to do with them. and it, that's one thing I try to help my kids with. So I think if anything, I would like to be remembered my, my family. Like my dad thought I was cool. Like my dad dug me and he, and he liked what I did and he wanted to be interested in what I did, help me go do that. So that's, that's that. And then when we wall films, it is pretty simple. We want to make people feel and look better than they ever thought they could. There's too much. And if you go to our website, we have like a page called our three promises. We boil it down to three things we want to do. And that's one of them. And one of them is that you'll be proud of your video. Mm -hmm. Um, You're going to look your best and it will move people. And you will want to show this to people. Making people feel good is not a bad way to make a living. There's a lot of people make, Mm -hmm. make a living, making people feel bad. And we do the opposite. And that to me, I think, you know what? We all films, they came in and they made us feel really good and they elevated us and they made us look and feel better than the, the way we always wanted to look and feel. And I think if I, we can accomplish that, that's not a bad day's work. Well, I can tell you already, Kevin, you're, you're living your legacy. I see that in your work. I see that as a, a father and a husband. So way to go. You're already doing it. 
Well, thank you very much. Likewise, I could tell you're having fun at this. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So where can people connect with you? Social medias, LinkedIn, all of the things. The good thing about having a name like We Wall Films is that nobody had taken any of the handles on social media, right? So every single one of the handles is at We Wall Films, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, YouTube, Instagram, the whole, you'll, you'll find us. Our website is We Wall Films, W-E-W-A-F-I-L-M-S.com, We Wall Films.com. And I have to come back one more time, another episode, just to explain to people what We Wall is. It's a place. It's a, it's a real place. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Weedwallfilms.com. My contact information is all over the website. And find us on socials. We're all out there. We're easy to find. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and your, your presence again the second time because it was way better than the second time, right? <laughs> Good. Yes. So we improve. That's how you do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's like growth mindset all over yeah. again. <laughs> yep. So uh, I always like to close with this last question of where or what mantra scripture phrase do you live by right now? Wow, what a great question. Okay, so this is, and I don't like to talk in memes, right? But sometimes they hit right, you know? And I'm not kidding when I say this quote has been attributed to Tony Robbins. If I don't know if he said it or it doesn't matter who said it, but he might have said it. Sounds like something he would say is stop worrying about what could go wrong Mm. and start thinking about what could go right. It was just one of those inspirational memes that somebody Mm. put on Facebook. When I saw that, it caught me, it caught me at exactly the right moment in life. It was about the time Courtney and I were thinking about jumping off and doing this business. And one of the other sides of ADHD which maybe we'll do a whole episode on that. And by right. the way, I think that'd be, that'd be valuable. I think I would like to listen to that episode. What's <laughs> it like? What are the implications of having adult ADHD in, in, yes. in business? Anyway, but it's true is that a lot of anxiety and worry comes along with that package of gifts in our brain mm-hmm. because our minds can imagine lots of scenarios, good ones, but mm-hmm. also bad ones. And sometimes the bad ones take us over, but stop worrying about what could go wrong. Start thinking about what could go right. Cause it could go right. And and it has for us. And, I, and I'm incredibly grateful that it has. And you're never going to know if it's going to go right unless you do it. So that, that's what I'm living by now every day. Even when I start to get a little anxious about how things are going, listen, things have gone right so far. There's no reason to think they won't keep doing that. There you go. There you go. Well, ADHD is your superpower. Yes, it is. And I, <laughs> but I will tell you, even if I'm not the guest, I don't, I don't care about that. You can find somebody more qualified than I am. But I would listen to that episode because I yes. don't think we talk about that enough. I think there's a lot yes. of people out there that struggle with this in business. And they feel like they're probably not, like they're the only ones feeling these things. And mm-hmm. I, I think it would help. I would tune into that episode for sure. Well, maybe next time. Maybe, yeah. I was going to say, maybe I need to do a panel on that for sure. We'll, we'll come back. We'll a circle back around. Great idea. Yes. We'll come back to that. Well, thank you for being here, Kevin, and thank you for listening to The Power of Investing in People. If you enjoyed this episode, because I know you did, Kevin gave you so many knowledge nuggets, you probably took some notes, please share this episode with a friend. And until next time, let's get fired up. The Lima Charlie Network is a group of thought leaders and podcasters with the goals of improving ourselves. Inspiring and educating others and bringing viable conversations to both military and civilian audiences. Our vision is to empower others to reach new heights in leadership. Self-development and communication by connecting our audience to crucial conversations. Focused on sharing tools, ideas, and perspectives A one-stop shop for aspiring and seasoned leaders alike to gain from the experiences and knowledge of others. We aren't just a network of colleagues. We are family. And we invite you to come and join us on this journey. And we look forward to delivering invaluable information to you loud and clear.